Good morning to each one, and greetings in Jesus' name. It's a joy to be with you to worship the Lord together. So I thought about coming to Bethany. thought about who, who all goes there, whom I go see that I know. And there's a few of you here that I didn't, didn't, I'd forgotten or that you went here. But I know most of you this morning, there's a few that, faces that are new to me. But we can worship the Lord together. That's what we're going to do here this morning. The title of the message this morning is A Leper, A Centurion, and A Mother-in-Law. A Leper, A Centurion, and A Mother-in-Law. You may turn to Matthew chapter 8. I'll be spending most of, the, most of my time here. I want to look at some miracles this morning that Jesus performed. Do miracles still happen today? Matthew 8 is a collection of accounts that are given to us in Jesus' public ministry. In the first three miracles Jesus performed here in Matthew chapter 8 are all miracles of healing. And lepers and Gentiles and women were all disdained by the Jewish people. They were not allowed to participate fully in worship at the temple. All three of these were recipients of God's grace and miraculous power as Jesus healed them from their illnesses. When Jesus came, he preached the good news of the kingdom. God's kingdom extends over every realm as demonstrated by Jesus' power in his miracles over sickness, Satan, suffering, nature, and sin. Another thing we'll notice this morning is Jesus' miracles were never done for his own benefit, but for the benefit of others. And in Scripture, we find a threefold purpose for Jesus' miracles. Number one, they demonstrated his compassion for people as he healed them and delivered them from Satan's power. Number two is his miracles also revealed him as a Messiah in the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, which spoke of the miracles the Messiah would perform when he came. Thirdly, Jesus' miracles also taught spiritual truths, as each miracle was designed to teach us something about sin and salvation and our relationship to God. Matthew 8, I'm going to read the first four verses. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said unto him, See, thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. It says here in verse 1 that he came down off the mountain. That is obviously the Mount of Olives, where he gave the Sermon on the Mount. Now he's on his way down, and it says large crowds were following him. Large crowds followed Jesus before the Sermon on the Mount. 
And here we see that the crowds are still following. They continue to follow Jesus as he came down from the mountain. Jesus doesn't want large crowds. He wants disciples. He wants people who will follow him as their Lord and Savior. And we see the first thing that happens here is a man with lep- leprosy comes and kneels before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I like the way that this leper addressed Jesus. Notice that he didn't question at all Jesus' ability to make him clean. The leper had no doubt whatsoever about the ability of Jesus to heal. His only question was if Jesus was willing to heal him. So I want to talk about leprosy a little bit for some historic background. I think that will help us to understand what is going on here and what this man had to go through to get to the place that Jesus is talking about or to get to the place of talking to Jesus. Leprosy is a skin disease. Leprosy was terrible. It was a destructive disease. And still in some parts of the world, we still have leprosy. Leprosy is not only affected you physically, but also socially and spiritually. The ancient leper had no hope of improvement. So this leper came to Jesus with a great sense of need and desperation. From a physical standpoint, leprosy was a terrible thing to have happened. It was something a person could live, live with for 20 to 30 years before they died. It was debilitating, demeaning, and an awful disease to contract. And there was no hope of improving. Today we know leprosy as the Hansen's disease. And for the most part, if it's caught in its early stages... It can be dealt with, and a person can live a normal life. This was not the case in Jesus' day. Physically, this disease was awful, but socially, it was even worse. If you had this disease, you were taken away from your family and moved to isolation. A quarantine area known as a leper colony If you broke out in leprosy, you may never see your family. You may never see your family again. Or if you do, it may only be from a distance. They would certainly not touch you anymore. They believed that it was contracted through physical touch. It was also unlawful to touch someone with leprosy because according to the law, you then would be made unclean and would have to wait out a period of being made clean. So you could once again go in and worship in the temple. When a leper did venture out of a leper colony, they were required by the law to cover the lower part of their face. And he had to cry out, unclean, unclean, as he passed through public areas. So people had the opportunity to move out of the way. It was a terrible way to live. And according to the Jewish custom, 
in tradition, they were to give at least six feet between a leper and a healthy person. And if the wind was blowing toward a person from a leper, they had to keep 150 feet away. People didn't treat lepers very well either. They were treated as outcasts. The broken heart from being separated from your family and knowing there was no cure for this disease which would slowly eat away at your flesh to the point where your nerve endings would be dulled and you would no longer be able to feel pain. And as a result, you would contract infections and over a period of time, your fingers and toes would begin to fall off. It was a terrible way to live and also a terrible way to die. So that gives us a little background of how awful this disease was. So this man, he comes to Jesus. This man put a lot of effort into this to come out of the quarantine area and walk into the public place to meet with Jesus. He would not be welcomed by most healthy people. Notice in verse 3 how Jesus responds to this man. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. In response to this man's question, he said, I am willing, be thou clean. And immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Jesus did to this man the unthinkable. He reached out and touched this leprous man. And in their society, they believed that it was, leprosy was contracted through physical touch. And Jesus reaches out his hand and touches him. This is something that man probably hadn't done for a long time. This man probably hadn't felt the loving touch, the loving care of someone's touch for a long time. Jesus reached out and touched the man. And we see here, rather than Jesus contracting the man's leprosy, the man contracted the healing, the power of God, through the touch of Jesus. And it says he was immediately cured. He was immediately made clean. It's significant also that Jesus didn't cleanse the leper first and then touch him. He touched him while he was still a leper and then cleansed him. It's the same way with our sin. Jesus doesn't require us to be clean first before he touches us with salvation. Salvation first, and then he makes us clean. I love Jesus' statement here in verse 3. He says, I will. I am willing. Because that was the man's question. That's what he wanted to know. I know you can do this, but are you willing? Jesus' response was, I am willing. We recognize the willingness of our Lord. Jesus tells this man who suffered so terribly with this disease, I am willing, I will. When we see Jesus moving among the people, 
and answering their questions, touching their lives. We need to understand that this is God. Jesus is given for you and I as a picture of how God loves and cares for each of us. Jesus said, I have come to do the will of my Father. We read that in John 6, 38. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Jesus is God in human flesh. You want to know what God is like? You look at Jesus. Toward the end of Jesus' public ministry, he told his disciples, when one of them said to him, If you just show us the Father... Read it in John 14, 8. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Is Jesus still willing to heal? I don't see in Scripture where Jesus is no longer willing to heal, or that God doesn't want to heal today, or that it was for a particular time period. I don't see that in Scripture. When we go before the Lord and ask for healing, we need to come before Him with the attitude that He is willing. That doesn't mean that it will always happen, but we should have the attitude that He is willing. That's the attitude that Paul had. When he went before the Lord, with when he approached him with a thorn in his flesh, he went three times. Paul repeatedly came before the Lord and said, Would you take away this thorn in the flesh? Would you do that? And eventually the Lord responded and said there was a higher purpose to that particular infirmity that Paul was struggling with. And Paul explains that in 2 Corinthians 12. I want to move on in response to the leper's question. Jesus said, I am willing. The next thing he says, be clean. You will notice that Jesus simply speaks healing into this man's life. When you and I deal with a situation... Where someone needs healing, we pray, and we come before the Lord in prayer. And we say, Lord, touch this person with healing according to your will. Jesus didn't have to do that. Because he's God, and he just simply speaks that healing into the, the man's life. Be clean. And we are told that immediately he was made clean. Verse 4, And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Mark's account tells us that the leper did not obey. He did not obey Jesus. Instead he went out and began to pro proclaim it freely. In contrast, Jesus tells us 
to go tell everyone or to proclaim the good news of salvation and too often we remain quiet. So what was he doing here when he told him to go and show himself to the priest? That was in obedience to the Mosaic law regarding cleansing. Jesus was telling this man to be obedient to whatever, to, to what was outlined in the book of Leviticus. And this man had to go to Jerusalem for this inspection. This healing took place near Capernaum. So Jerusalem was around 100 miles away on foot. In those times when a person had some kind of disease of the skin and there was healing, they were to go before the priest. And the priest was to examine them. And if the priest examined them and found that they were no longer struggling or suffering from this disease of the skin, then they were declared clean. Clean doesn't mean, just mean healed. For him, clean means you can now come back to church. And in the temple, you cannot enter those places of worship if you had some condition by which you were declared unclean. And only the priest could declare you to be clean. The priest is a foreshadowing of Jesus himself, our high priest. He is the only one who declares us clean. Except the issue we deal with is not leprosy. The issue we deal with is sin. Leprosy is a model of sin and its effects. In the issue of leprosy, we see a clear picture of the corrupting influence of sin. Because leprosy, once it was contracted, would cause separation between people. Those who had it and those who didn't. And they were also separated from the worshiping community. You cannot go into the temple with leprosy. In the same way, sin separates us from God. Here Jesus had the power to make clean. Jesus honored the law. Jesus has the power to make us clean from sin as well. Jesus' miracles had spiritual meaning also. Leprosy is a symbol of the uncleanness of sin. Like sin, it contaminates. Like sin, it spreads. Like sin, it isolates. And like sin, man cannot cure it. The only way you and I can be healed in this way, this man was healed, and that is by the touch of God. He can take that corrupting influence of sin and he can change our lives. And yes, he is willing to do that. We are powerless to clean ourselves. But Jesus has the power to clean us, to make us clean from sin. Jesus offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for us when we trust him as our Savior. Jesus presents us to himself as perfectly clean in him. 
Christ is both priest and sacrifice, and we are the recipients of his grace. We studied that in our Sunday school lesson this morning. By grace, through faith, you are saved. All right, verse 5, we have the centurion. The heading in my Bible says, a centurion's faith. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him. A Roman centurion was named such because he was in charge of a military force of 100 men in the Roman army. Verse 6, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Here we get a sense of the kind of man this is. He cares about a servant. In Luke's account of the story, uses the Greek word doulos, which means slave. This is a servant slash slave of this Roman centurion. But yet this man cares enough about this servant to approach Jesus about healing for this man. Luke's account also adds that he was near death. My servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Verse 7, And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. Then centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you, that man shall come from the east, I'm sorry, that many shall come from the east and west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. This is a very powerful story. Jesus was blown away by this man's faith. Let's think for a moment about all the things that this man has going against him. Number one, he is a centurion, which means he is a soldier. And that means he is a man of war. So here we have this man of war approaching Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Secondly, he is part of the military force that is occupying Israel militarily and sometimes violently. And that has him on the outs with the Jews. And to top it off, he is a Gentile. This man has a lot going against him as it relates coming to Jesus, who is obviously a Jew, and making his request of him. But there is something this man had going for him. He came not for a selfish reason but on behalf of his servant. This man understood the concept of the chain of commands. 
and how the orders of one in authority were unquestioningly obeyed. He knew what it was to be a man of authority. He was a man of some authority. He was over a hundred men. And he knew and recognized immediately in Jesus that you too are a man in authority. Just give the command. You don't have to go with me. The centurion showed great faith in Jesus' word. He understood that Jesus can heal with his word just as easily as with a touch. What did Jesus, I'm sorry, what did Jairus say to Jesus when his little girl was sick? He said, please come to my house, come to my home, and lay your hands on my daughter. Lay your hands on my daughter. There was faith there. But it wasn't the kind of faith this centurion had. That is why Jesus is so astonished when he hears about it. He says, I haven't seen this great of faith, not even in Israel. This man's understanding of Jesus' spiritual authority made Jesus marvel. His simple confidence in the ability of Jesus' mere word to heal showed a faith that was free of any superstitious reliance on merely external things. This was truly great faith, worthy of praise. The people that should have had more faith than anybody they had been given the word of God all these years. They were given the prophecies of God. And they were told the Messiah is coming and how to expect him. They should have recognized this man as the Messiah. And they should have put their absolute, complete, and total faith in him and all that he did. But they didn't. This man says, I see you, a man of authority. And I recognize that when you say something, it's going to get done. In the faith of this Gentile, Jesus sees something of a foreshadowing of the upcoming Gentile ingathering. And he speaks of it. The fact that such faith was present in a Gentile caused Jesus to announce that there would be Gentiles in the kingdom of heaven. There is coming a day that from the east and the west, others will come and sit down to eat at the banquet table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Here in verse 11 and 12, Christ is referring to the ingathering of the Gentiles through the preaching of the gospel, culminating in their final gathering at the time of his second coming. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's two destinies, heaven or hell. And an outward profession may cause us to be called children of the kingdom. But if we rest in that and have nothing else to show, we shall be cast out into outer darkness. The Jews that persist in unbelief, though they were by birth children of the kingdom, shall be cut off from the kingdom of God.
says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you put your faith in God? Some of the people who are actually physical, actually part of physical Israel, will be excluded from the kingdom of heaven. The writer in Hebrews says it well. Hebrews 4 verse 1 says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. The writer of Hebrews is referring to the ones, referring to the Jews who came through the wilderness to the edge of the promised land and didn't go in. The picture is the same, whether it is going into the promised land or accepting their Messiah. The issue is a lack of faith. They heard the word, but they didn't combine it with faith. This is the major key and the cause of them missing out on the final feast. That is why the Hebrew writer tells us, Be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short. It is not just something that has happened in the past. It's an exhortation to you and I. Let's make sure that you and I don't find ourselves in the same situation of faithlessness. Not applying the word in faith. What kind of faith is Jesus talking about? What kind of faith is he looking for? Luke 18, verse 8. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. When Jesus returns to this earth, will he find people exercising faith? What kind of faith will he find? He's talking about people who hear the word of God and believe it. When he returns, he is looking for people who have faith. It can be a simple faith that simply sees the word of God and believes it. Come to the third miracle, verse 14. Healing of the mother-in-law. And when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she arose and ministered unto them, and said, And I say unto you, Lost my place here. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. So think with me here for a minute. This must have been an exciting time for the disciples. They come into Peter's house, and Peter's mother-in-law is lying on the bed with a fever. This clearly establishes the fact that Peter was married. This lady couldn't even get up. Jesus touches her hand. In one of the other accounts, we were told he actually rebuked the fever. Luke's account. Luke 4, 39, he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she arose and ministered unto them. It says he rebuked the fever. 
talking to a fever like it's a person. He did that with the winds, with the wind and the waves also. Jesus healed this woman with a gentle touch of his hand. Her sickness was much less severe than the leper, yet Jesus still cared for her. Jesus cares for our small problems too. So let's not think our problems are too small to take before him. That's a challenge for me. There's, we don't have a problem with the big th- taking the th- big things, big decisions in life before the Lord. But he cares about the small things also. Now I want to look at the response of the mother-in-law. Verse 15, and he touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and ministered unto them. Peter's mother-in-law showed a fitting response to those who have been touched by Jesus' power. She immediately began to serve. Serving Jesus is a wonderful evidence of being restored to spiritual health. Verse 16, when the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils and he cast out the spirits with his word. And healed all that were sick. Jesus' care for the individual is shown by the implication that Jesus dealt with each person individually, personally. Verse 17 that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sickness. That was to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy. We find it in Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Infirmities are sickness, disease, weakness. In Jesus' public ministry, Matthew tells us this was to fulfill what was spoken to us in Isaiah 53. Matthew rightly understood This as a partial fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 53, which refers to spiritual healing. In this, Matthew showed Jesus as the true Messiah in delivering people from the bondage of sin and the effects of a fallen world. Isaiah 53 is quoted a lot throughout Scripture. The context of Isaiah 53 is talking about spiritual healing and forgiveness. It is talking about being healed from your sinful condition that causes a separation between you and God. In the New Testament, Peter also quotes this verse. 1 Peter 2.4, in the NIV, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So Peter connects this passage from Isaiah to spiritual healing. The fact that your sins have been forgiven that you are healed from the malignity or the sickness or disease of sin and pronounced clean in the sight of God and now have the ability to come in the very presence of God. We believe that because of what it says here in Matthew eight seventeen. It tells about all that Jesus did, casting out demons, healing, carrying their infirmities. Matthew says this fulfills Isaiah 53, 4, and five. 
When we read the gospel accounts, we see the heart of God as it is expressed toward the lost, the hurting, the infirmed. And we see in the reaction of Jesus to people the heart of God. Another thing we see is the mercy and the compassion does not change. And we can hang on to that. We can rest in that. Hebrews 13.8 Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So here we have a leper, a centurion, and a mother-in-law. In the leper is our sin. We have our sin to deal with. In the centurion, we have faith, the faith of the centurion. Then we have the mother-in-law. What did, she, what did she do when she was healed? Verse 15. So he touched her hand and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. Service, a life of service. As we acknowledge our sinfulness and put our faith in the Lord Jesus, May we too live our lives in service for him as we share the good news of the gospel with others. Closing, I'd like to read Isaiah 53. This also makes a connection to Romans 8 that Daryl read earlier. Isaiah 53 man of sorrows, who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not." Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit, in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered 
with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors.